The following audio is from Norris Ferry Community Church. More information about Norris Ferry Community Church is available at norrisferrychurch.org. Good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? It's good. I just noticed that my daughter and her new fiance are in the house. That's right. That's right. That would make you my future son-in-law. I just had to say these because I'm getting used to it in my head, but we are thrilled. We praise the Lord for you, Dylan. Well, so as we continue to work through the book of 1 Corinthians, we come to chapter 12. And to get ready for, the, for where Paul is going in this text, I want to ask you a question. Don't answer out loud because I'm setting you up for failure. So don't answer out loud. What spiritual gift do you most wish that you had in your life? What spiritual gift do you most wish that you had? If you don't know what spiritual gifts are, then I'll ask it a little different way that gets the same idea. What do you wish your role is in the church? What do you say, man, I wish I was doing that, or I wish I was that person? Now, it's a terrible question to ask because it leads you into the problem that the, the people at Corinth were having, which is they were basically looking at each other, comparing spiritual gifts, and exalting one gift in particular over the others. And that gift seems to be speaking in tongues. And so to understand what Paul is saying in chapter 12, we kind of need to fast forward to chapter 14. So let me just take a step back and kind of look at the bigger picture. In chapter 14, Paul says some things that seems to be the main issue, seems to reveal the main issue he's dealing with. And then you can go, okay, well, I see why he's saying what he does in chapter 12 and in chapter 13. So briefly, let me just review. In chapter 14, verse 12, here's a few things he says, and let's see if you can determine with me what's going on in this church. In chapter 14, verse 12, he says, So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. So there's an eagerness for the manifestation of the Spirit that they are not striving to build up the church. Maybe they're striving to build up themselves. And then in verse 19, he says, In the church, I would rather speak five words with my mind, intelligible words, in order to instruct. I would rather that than 10,000 words in a tongue in other words, in, in, a, in the spiritual gifts of tongues or utterances not understood by others. And then in verse 33, he says, For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. And so from chapter 14, we can kind of get the picture of what's going on in Corinth. And from the full study of the book, you kind of can tell that there's been this attitude of spiritual elitism going on in the church. That some people in the church possibly tied with speaking in tongues or other manifestations of the Spirit, considered themselves to be elite spiritual beings. So much so they even seem to have exalted themselves as we are like the angels. And it kind of gets back to some of the, the, why is Paul talking about the physical body and sex and things like that, that that Kevin talked on earlier. And it's because they seem to even say that, this kind of uh, dualism this, that was there, that the spirit versus the body, that we're so spiritual, the body doesn't even matter anymore. So that seems to be what was going on in the, in the church at Corinth. And they seem to be exalting this and obsessing over this uh, display of called speaking in tongues. And, and Paul is addressing this and saying, 
you guys got to quit causing chaos in the church with this. The way they were going about it was apparently causing chaos. He says, God's not a God of chaos. When they gathered together, and we're going to see in chapter 14, he gives a lot of instructions on, okay, here's how you got to think about this. Because we can't allow this chaos and this distraction and this self-exaltation to go on. We've got to think about how to do that. So with that problem in mind, which we'll address in more detail in chapter 14... Think about what he does in chapter 13. 1 Corinthians 13 is the chapter we hear all the time at weddings. And what is that chapter called? The love chapter. Not the love boat, but the love chapter. Now, why would he be talking about this? Well, because that's what should be reign. That's what should reign in the church. And he says in chapter 13, 1, he said, just to give you one example, he says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I do not have love, then I'm just a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. So love should reign. So that's what he's going to talk about in chapter 13. But then today, we get to chapter 12. In light of the problem, what's his main idea in chapter 12? His main idea in chapter 12 is there needs to be a great variety or a great diversity of how God manifests himself. It's not just about that. Quit overemphasizing that is what he says. Today, that's the main point. We're going to have two main points today that, that, that emphasize what I just said. We're going to look at the direction of gifts, and we're going to look at the diversity of gifts. And the whole idea is that God gave spiritual gifts to his people for the direction of bringing glory to Jesus in the church, and he did it in a, he expresses himself in a great variety, a great diversity of gifts in the church. But it's all for the common good of the body, and for the glory of Jesus. Let me ask the Lord to help us this morning. Father God, we do ask that your spirit, who is real and alive and powerful and works in us and through us, that you will, by your spirit, convict our hearts, grow us, teach us, humble us, by your grace, by your mercy. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. One more word of introduction before I get started. When you go verse by verse, when we go verse by verse, we're in danger of losing the bigger picture. And if you'll notice, the tagline of our series is seeing every part of life through the gospel. And so what Paul has been doing each week in, in addressing these problems that are going on in Corinth is he's, he's approaching them through the lens of the gospel. And so we need to understand the gospel as we think about how this informs our understanding of the use of spiritual gifts. So the gospel is what? Gospel literally means good news. That's the Greek word gospel. In English, it means good news. It's the good news that what we just sang, though our sins are many, his mercy is more. Our sins are forgiven, not by something that we did, but by the grace of God through Jesus Christ. When we put our faith and our soul trust in Jesus, that he is the author and perfecter of our faith, that he is the one who took our punishment for our sins, that he is the one that makes us right with God when God gives us credit for his righteousness, that is good news. When we are putting our faith in Christ, once we are united with Christ, we are filled with the Spirit of God. As we become the people of God, we're filled with the Spirit of God, and we are gifted with the Spirit to manifest the presence of Jesus. In the church, like God took him, his presence in form of a baby who became a man who walked on earth. That was the manifestation. The word manifest just means reveal. 
So God revealed himself through the person and work of Jesus. But then when Jesus died, buried, raised again, and ascended to heaven, he gave the spirit to his people so that now his people manifest or revealed the presence of Jesus on earth. That you and I, spirit-filled believers, are the manifestation of Jesus on this earth now until he comes back. So with that in mind, we understand the whole direction that Paul's going to say, the whole direction of spiritual gifts is to the glory of Jesus. Not to ourselves. It's not about exalting myself. It's about exalting Jesus. I, I dropped in on Rebecca, our children's minister, on her training this weekend for our, our children's teachers. And she began with the great word from Romans 12, 1 through 2. Therefore, key word, therefore in the view of the mercies of God, present yourselves as a living sacrifice. And this is your worship. That's Paul's point, that in view of the fact that Christ Jesus saved you and filled you with the Spirit, and you're the manifestation of Jesus on earth now, use your gifts as a worship of Jesus. And that's what he's going to say, the direction of our gifts. That's our first point. Look at verse 1 of chapter 12. He says, now, concerning the spiritual gifts. I mean, he's just working just issue after issue of all these things going on in the church in Corinth. And today he says, now, let's talk about spiritual gifts. Brothers. I don't want you to be uninformed. He says, you know that when you were pagans, before you came to Christ, you were led astray by mute idols, these fake gods that don't even speak, and they led you astray, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say, listen to this, no one can even say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. And so he's kind of comparing whatever spiritual utterances and spiritual experiences that were going on in the pagan world. He says, let me, understand, let me help you understand how it works in the church. That the Spirit of God, I'm going to make two points here. First, the Spirit of God enables you to say, Jesus is Lord. There's debate throughout the ages of the timing and how the Spirit of God enables someone to proclaim faith in Christ, but we can talk about that till we're blue in the face. Don't miss the point. Nobody comes to faith in Christ except for the enablement of the Holy Spirit. That means that we are all in the same playing field. We are all sinners by birth. Our disposition is sinful. Therefore, we commit the fruit of sin. And by virtue of that, we need the grace of God to give us the ability to say, Jesus is Lord. And so we're all humbled by that. That in view of the mercies of God who enabled us to put our faith in Christ, we are filled with the Spirit of God. And so it's all to the glory of God. The direction of our gift should be to bring glory to Jesus. The second thing we see here is that all supposed words or utterances from God must be to the glory of Jesus and not to ourselves. We don't ever exercise spiritual gifts to bring glory to ourselves or to exalt our name or to make ourselves look good. We should never desire spiritual gifts so that people will think highly of us. That is completely the opposite 
of the point of spiritual gifts. And the funny thing is, let me let you in on a little secret. Pastors are terrified to talk about the Holy Spirit and tongues. Why? Well, because it rips churches open in half. It does the exact opposite. The spiritual gifts are to unite, unite the body to the glory of Jesus. And yet what we see happens is how many churches have been ripped in half over the whole issue. And so the fact that Jesus says, I gave you my spirit, you should use them to bring glory to Jesus, that helps inform our understanding of the direction of spiritual gifts. God gave his spirit to his people so that we might manifest, that he might manifest through us his presence. His presence here, his presence on the earth. And so that leads us to ask the question. Here's the question you should ask. How am I being used to bring glory to God or glory to Jesus in this church? How am I being used to bring glory to Jesus in this church? That challenges a view of church that informs us to understand that the church is not uh, a buffet. The church is not, I'm going to go and feed at the trough of the buffet and I wonder what they're going to offer me. Now, I'm not saying the church isn't a blessing. It certainly is. It is for you and for your strengthening and for your encouragement and for your edification or building up and sanctification or becoming holy. It's for that. But ultimately, the question you ask is, what, how can I bring glory to Jesus in this church? How can I serve this body? How can I serve others? That's the whole point of spiritual gifts. In our church, when you join, every member of our church is expected to serve. It's not an option. 100% of our members serve. And so what this says to every member is every single service that you provide is equally valuable. It is very important, very wonderful. And so continue to look for ways that you can serve with all your heart. With that in mind, we quickly move to Paul's second point, which is the diversity of gifts. And, and here we really have three subpoints of the diversity of gifts. Here's, here's what Paul's going to do in the remaining verses. He's going to make an argument to say, we need the variety of gifts. And he's going to make it through three subpoints. First of all, he's going to argue from the theology of God. He's going to say, just consider God's character. And you see... One God with a variety of ministries. And then he's going to say, uh, in the second part, he's going to say, consider the, the human body. He says, this is going to argue for one body has many variety of parts. And then finally, he's going to consider from church history. He's going to say, the, in the way this church came about, you see the variety, the diversity of gifts. And so let's begin with the first, the theology of God in verse 4. He says, now, notice the varieties with one God. This is one of the earliest evidences of the Trinitarian formula that, that God is one with three persons. He says there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are a varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all. And so you can see his point. He says, look, there's, there's one Lord, one Spirit, one God... But there's a variety of ways that he, he acts and ministers and serves. And he's going to make the point that that's exactly the way it is in the church. That the church is one unified body. 
but the presence of God is manifest or revealed in a whole variety of ways. That we should not obsess over one or just a handful of spiritual gifts or, or manifestations of the Spirit or places of service in the church. That they're all very important. And he says in verse 7, like God is one with a variety, he says, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Now, it took me a while to understand the point here. Look at verse 7 again. Look, a little bit nuanced here. To each person is given what? The manifestation of the Spirit. He does not say to each person is given an individual spiritual gift. It's a little different understanding that I don't think that we typically understand. He's saying, we tend to think, and I'm trying real hard in the way I talk about this not to reinforce misunderstanding. We tend to think that, oh, everyone's got a spiritual gift, maybe two or three, and then we're going to do a survey, and we're going to figure out what that gift or those two or three top gifts are, and that's how God has gifted me to serve. That's not bad, it's just not quite what he's saying here. What he's saying here is that each one of us enjoys the various manifestations of, the, of Jesus in our midst for our common good. Each one of us individually is benefited as we see Jesus manifested in the body of Christ. And so he says, and so we see that this implies that spiritual gifts are the manifestation of Jesus in the church. It's how Jesus reveals he is present with us. That God is alive, God is working, God is in our midst. And we, we know this, how? As we see God reveal himself in and among us. As the way we serve, as the way God enables, as the way God manifests himself by the spirit of God. So it means that God manifests himself in a variety of ways, not in one way in particular. That he does it in all kinds of ways. The emphasis being on variety. The second thing it helps us understand is that they're for the common good. That it is, it is the best thing for this church is that when you get together, you are thinking about Jesus. That he is exalted. He is glorified. He is, your heart is the, the embers of your heart are kindled to love Jesus more. That when someone, the way they live in this church and act and the way they treat you, it's like a reminder of, man, Jesus is good. The worst thing that you could do is to be leaving here thinking about me or about Granger or about someone else. You need to be thinking about Jesus because that's what builds you up. And so it's very important that we understand the the whole purpose is for the manifestation of Jesus in our midst because that is what is the common best thing for us all. Now look at verse 8. Now here's where it gets interesting. In verse 8 and following, he's going to start uh, listing different gifts. And because y'all are so sinful and wicked, and I'm just kidding, but because we are all human, what we really are doing right now is, Tracy, just get to that last one. I want to know what you think about tongues. And the irony is that's the, exactly the point or the exact opposite point that Paul's trying to make. Paul's not saying, let's focus in and get real detailed about each one of these gifts. The list of the gifts, I'm going to read it the way Paul intended it, is to say the exact opposite, is, is say the exact opposite, to say, 
Oh, there's all kinds of gifts. And so listen to how he reads it. He says, listen, it's not so much about the gift in particular as it is about Jesus and the common good of seeing Jesus. So he says, he says, like it illustrates all these different ways, that the varieties and the diversity. He says, for to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to that same Spirit, and to another faith by the same Spirit, and to another gifts of healings by that one Spirit, and to another the working of miracles, and to another prophecy, and to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, and to another various kinds of tongues, and to another interpretation of tongues. In other words, there's all kinds of ways that the Spirit manifests himself in the body for the common good of the body. Stop obsessing over the gifts individually, right? And you're like, okay, I got you. But what do you think about tongues, right? Okay, so I went back and forth. Do I address that topic or not? I'll wait till chapter 14. I said, nobody's going to hear a thing I say if I don't address it. All right, so let's address it. First of all, Kevin Wilsey convinced me to send out a list of the definitions of spiritual gifts and inventory where you can determine how you're gifted. That's Kevin's fault. But I, I'm not all against it, but as long as I explain how you use it. Do not use the gifts to say, well, this is how I'm gifted, and I ain't serving unless you put me in a place where I'm gifted. And I'll say, well, then everybody's gifted to work with children. <laughs> There's going to be one slot on that inventory, children. But the point is, as you use the gift survey, if you want to take that test, it just helps you understand how you might be used to glorify God. What if you say, well, I'm the, it says I have the gift of hospitality and you got me changing filters in the church and I need a different position. I'll say, no, keep changing filters because that is serving to the glory of God. You're helping the body of Christ. But look beyond your service team. How can you use that, that preference, that passion, that ability to, to be hospitable? How can you use that? What about with community group? Why don't, you, why don't you offer to host more often at your house because you actually find joy in it rather than it being harder for you? Or why don't you invite some neighbors over for dinner and, and talk to them about Jesus or just become friends with them? Or why don't you uh, be hospitable and have coffee with a, a brother in Christ in the church and y'all work through a book together? Use your gift however God gives you the opportunities, but let, let it just be a way of saying, I'm going to better understand how I might be able to serve others to the glory of God. And so notice also on the gift list that Kevin sent out, I, I went back and looked at it, and I was like, I wonder what they did with tongues on that. It's a very Southern Baptist gift. It actually doesn't mention tongues. It has an asterisk on it, and it says, a lot of confusion about this gift, so we're not going there. So do I address it or not? Yes, I'm going to address it. So you basically have two categories of people as it relates to spiritual gifts, in particular as it relates to tongues and other so-called sign gifts. And those two types of people are cessationists, which they say the sign gifts ceased. So they're called cessationists because they say those have ceased. And they have uh, maybe one or two verses, and they make an argument from Acts in church history to say those sign gifts are not needed anymore, so they ceased. The others say, no, I don't see that in Scripture. I'm not a cessationist. I don't see in the Scripture enough evidence to say that I could argue that biblically that those have ceased. I see in church history they seem to have ceased and they seem to have had a role uh, 
to not be as significant. But I can't argue from Scripture that I would say dogmatically they've ceased. So where are we on that? Well, I would say that Scripture shows us three refers to tongues in three ways. Number one, private, personal edification. Of which, of all these three ways, none of which have I experienced. So I will say that right now. I have not experienced any of these. But I don't interpret Scripture based on my experiences. I interpret the best I can based on what I see in Scripture. So the first way that it seems in, in the Bible that tongues may be used are privately for personal edification. Not personal exaltation, not puffing up, but just personal edification in a private time with the Lord. Another place seems to be publicly, which would be a spoken language, a foreign language, for the communication of the gospel. Think of the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. All different people with all different languages were gathered around, and it says they all spoke in a tongue which was not their own, a language which was not their own, and each person heard the gospel in their own language, all different languages. So that seems to be one way to understand it. Now, if that was it, I would say, okay, that's easy, no big deal. Seems to be a third use, possibly in corporate gatherings, whether it's small group gatherings or large group gatherings, based on chapter 14, that it may happen for the edification of the group, but it must, in essence, when all said and done, it must be intelligible by the end of the process, that there must be someone that basically says, with intelligible language, this is God's word. And so there had to be a translator, there has to be organization, there has to be the person giving, it has to know that there's a translator, the translator has to know that they're actually translated, right? Very complicated. And so Paul basically, when, all says, when he's all said and done, chapter 14 is going to say, look, this is, this is what you got to do. It needs to be not overemphasized, it needs not to be the central focus, and if it happens, it better be a translator, and it better be the glory of God, it better be organized, better not be a destructive process, a divisive process, and blah, 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 blah. And so I'm all right with it not happening in here unless the Lord does something, all right? Because I'm not sure what I would do. I'd say, hold on, is there a translator? Don't be a distraction. Let the Lord do what he wants to do. I'm not going to say he can't do it, but I think that it shouldn't be emphasized, and there's a lot of precautions and a lot of caveats that Paul's going to give us in chapters 14. All right. Is that enough to say, okay, now I can hear what you have to say about the rest of the text? All right. So what we saw, first of all, was based on the theology of God, that he is one God with many various manifestations the diversity of gifts is very necessary and very important. Secondly, we see he uses the analogy of the body. This is in verse 12. He says, look at your body. You see the need for the diversity. Verse 12, for just as the body is one, he starts out saying there's one body, emphasizing the unity. Just as the body is one and has many members, all the members of the body, though many, are one body. So it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jew or Greek, slave or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. So whatever you do with the gifts, it should be to enhance unity, not divide, Paul is saying. One body. Then verse 14, the many, the various, the diverse. He says, for the body does not consist of just one member, but of many members. If the foot should say 
well, because I'm not a hand, I'm not, I don't even belong to the body, that would, make, would not make it any less part of the body. In other words, no one should look down on themselves for the way that God is using them. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. The point being, every part of the body is important and shouldn't say, I'm not a part of the body, I'm not important because I'm not this or that. He says, think about it, if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? We would be mutated. If, you know, if we just all had one body part, it would just be a monster, not a healthy body. And so none of us should say the same thing when it comes to the body of Christ. That it, Just because you don't have a certain gift that you think is better, you shouldn't look down upon yourself. And then he flips it on the other side and says, also, no one should look down on others. He says, if the whole body were an eye, where would we, where would we have the sense of hearing? We need every part. If the whole body were an ear, where would we have the sense of smell? But as God, as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. So just like God designed the human body with every part having a very important role, and I've often assumed that my community group or my wife would want to remind me, you have one mouth, two ears, you should talk half as much as you listen. Each design, each part has a design. Each one of you has a design. God has a specific purpose in mind for placing you in this church. But there's this idea of the sovereign God arranging the members of this body together to say, this is what I need in this church. I don't need everyone in this church to be like this person or that person. I need all the parts And I need everyone to play their part so that the music is way more rich and full. What good would a church be if we all just had one part? What what is our greatest temptation to say, that's the most important gift? I don't think we struggle with saying that tongues is the most important gift, but I think that we would all tend to say preaching or teaching is the most important gift. And we'd all say, well, that's clearly more important. And that's the one that I want. Well, if everyone had the gift of preaching and teaching and we all gathered together, what would happen? Nobody's listening. Everybody's talking. If everybody was wired like me, here's what it looked like. We'd all get up. We'd all stand at a whiteboard. We'd all have dreams and visions and ideas and strategies. And then we'd all just say, that's awesome. Then we all sit around and go, well, who's going to do it? And nothing would ever get done because we wouldn't have Granger. And we wouldn't have Kevin, we wouldn't have Jared, we wouldn't have Rebecca, and we wouldn't have y'all. But we would all think they were great ideas. And we'd all want to talk, and nobody's listening. But every one of us has a role to play. And for us to accomplish the mission that God has given us, we all are pitching in, using the gifts that God's given us. And every one of us is extremely important and extremely valuable. So Paul continues in verse 19, if all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the hand to the feet, I have no need of you. We all need each other. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker, here he says, you know, we tend to think some are weaker than others, like we do in our physical bodies. Some should be more discreet. He says that's not the way it is in the church. On the contrary, the parts of the body, verse 22, 
that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think are less honorable, we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with great modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. When someone sings beautifully on stage, do we say, what a great mouth? We don't. We say that is beautiful because the whole person is delivering that song. And as beautiful as one voice is, how much more beautiful when we add the different parts and the whole beautiful sound comes forth. That's what Christ is in the church, that when each of us is fulfilling our assigned role, sacrificially, humbly, as a way of serving the common good, as a way of revealing Jesus in our midst, it's glorious. And if there's any division or any exalting of one or diminishing of another, we all suffer. We all miss something about Jesus. We all miss a, a beautiful part of the character of Jesus in our midst. So Paul says it's a tragedy that spiritual gifts are divisive in the church because they're supposed to be the exact opposite. So finally, he continues to make his point from church history. Look at verse 27. Here we see the diversity illustrated throughout church history. He says, now, you're the body of Christ and individually members of it, and God has appointed in the church, listen to the chronological order, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, and then miracles and gifts of healings and helpings, administration, and various kinds of tongues. And so he says, if all were apostles, that wouldn't work. If all were prophets, that wouldn't work. If all were teachers, that wouldn't work. If all did miracles, that wouldn't work. All, do all possess healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret but earnestly desire the higher gifts? This week he starts to talk about what a higher gift is, which is love, exalting. And I'll show you still a more excellent way. So what is Paul doing? He's going, hey, think about how this church came about in Corinth. What happened? Paul, the apostle, showed up, and he did what he was gifted to do. He proclaimed the gospel. God drew people a little nucleus of a church was formed, and then he moved on, and then Apollos and others and Cephas, and they all came and did their roles, and then, and then as the church grew, there were all kinds of gifted people that came, and God did a beautiful thing through the, in them and through them. I've seen that in our own church. When we were early days, there was just very few of us. The gifts were limited, but God did that. And then a season, then each kind of season that comes along, we have new people with new gifts, and the ministry just keeps multiplying, and the glory of God keeps expanding. What good would that be if there was all just one gift? And every bit of us plays a very important role. No one in this church should say, I wish that I was more important, or I wish I did something that was, it, it, we have people changing filters, we have people changing light bulbs, we have people taking trash out every week, we have people pushing buttons on screens, in the earlier service, Frank raised his hand like, hey, I'm like, that's exactly what Paul's preaching against, Frank, <laughs> no, but it is, it's valuable, every role is valuable, and it's not just one gift, and so the point today is, how are you 
being used to bring glory to God, how are you revealing Jesus to people in this church? The gospel reveals ultimately that Jesus sacrificed himself to make us right with God, to make us holy. How are you being used to sacrifice your time, your energy, your resources to show Jesus to your brothers and sisters in Christ? I pray that we get this right. We got the rules right. Everyone serves. But let's keep the heart right, which is it's all our way of manifesting Jesus in this place. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for this instruction from Paul. Help us to never let spiritual gifts divide us. I thank you for this church. You are active and powerful in this church. And what a loving, unified body we enjoy because of you. And I pray that you will help us to, to serve and to use our abilities and gifts and passions and interests and whatever opportunities you present to us, all in such a way that we are humbly trying to build up the body of Christ by making Jesus visible. And Lord, we pray that you would do that powerfully. And if Lord, if there's anyone here this morning who has not known salvation that comes by faith in Christ alone, would your spirit convict powerfully? Would you grant faith? Would you fill them with your spirit? Would your spirit enable them to say, yes, I see it. Jesus is Lord. And then transform their life to not be about self-exaltation, but about Jesus' exaltation. And to join the body of Christ in that journey. For your glory and for our good. It's in Christ's name we pray. Thank you for listening to audio from Norris Ferry Community Church located in Shreveport, Louisiana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Norris Ferry Community Church, please visit us online at norrisferrychurch.org.